The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Little boxes on the hillside. Little boxes made of ticky tacky. Little boxes on the hillside. Little boxes all the same. There's a green one and a pink one and a blue one and a yellow one. And they're all made out of tacky tacky. And, and they, they all look, look just the same. And the people in the houses all went to the university. Well, they were put in boxes and, and they came out all the same. And there's doctors and lawyers and business executives. And they're all made out of ticky-tacky. And they, and they all, all look, look just, just the same. The same. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, November 1st, 2012. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. And we'll be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and as always, 519-661-3600 is a number you can call to reach us if you'd like to join in on today's conversation, and I expect it's going to be a hot one today. have a guest in the studio with us today. He's one of those folks who's been there or done that, and that's why he's here now doing this, joining us in a discussion of just what's wrong down at London City Hall and how we might be able, perhaps, to take a look and fix it. None other than former city controller, past deputy mayor, past acting director of facilities and engineering at UWO, XVP at the hospital, 25 years on council. My goodness, you are a fellow who has had a hands-on experience. Orlando Zampronio, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'll tell you, you know, today's show is going to be interesting because I'm not even sure which direction it's going to eventually go in. But I heard you on Andy Utman's show on another station last week, speaking about, of course, the mayor's dilemma currently in the city, Mayor Joe Fontana, who now is becoming notorious from coast to coast again. And you said some things that I thought were a little bit, uh, shall I say, uh, alarming about your experience in the past. And you mentioned in, in, in the light of all of this going on right now, quote, it's going to get ugly it was ugly when Jane Bigelow took over. And then you said, and this was very interesting, you said, I got out because I couldn't stand it any longer, speaking of municipal politics. And you said, not because I was devoid of ideas or willingness or desire, I got out because I saw what was coming. And unfortunately, Andy didn't follow that up with you, so I want to follow that up with you today. <laughs> and you also mentioned, you said you should just see what happened with Jane Bigelow to see what kind of skills you need to stay in politics. What's the story behind some of those comments? Well, uh, I suppose that uh, over a period of time, such as the time that I've gone through, uh, one finds a, a, a generational gap or, or a, a cultural gap or some kind of gap. And the gap I found is the mentality towards um, handling of money and handling responsibility. And um, I found the second time around when I went into city council that the gap had widened and uh, I was no longer current 
and being fiscally responsible because uh, I was told, quote-unquote, by the leadership of the council at that time that uh, the city had a lot of borrowing capacity and why shouldn't they use it? To which I, re- I replied, look, I have a lot of credit cards too and I have a lot of borrowing capacity, but I don't use it because I know I have to pay it back someday. And if I run into trouble, then I have less choices uh, to be made. Somebody else makes the choices for me, and I don't like that. That was the first uh, thing that tipped me off that things had changed. And the second thing is that there was uh, less of a responsibility on the part of the city council uh, members, including the leadership, towards uh, exercising uh, their part of, of their of their work, that is to oversee the activities of the administration, oversee the activities of, of, of the policies and of the budget. They simply said, well, we have to trust the administration. And my view was, it's not a matter of trust. It's a matter of why are you here? Why are you being elected? And to me, the oversee factor uh, was drifting away. And you know, I, or, or Oz. I think you'd like to be called Oz. I am Oz, yes. Okay, Oz. Um, I was a trustee on the Board of Education, London Board and Thames Valley Board, for about six years. And that is my biggest complaint that I ever had, was that the elected trustees who were there to look after the people's money and people's interest were, as one councillor put it, sheep to the administration. Whatever the administration wanted, they got. And they were a bunch of rubber stamps, uh, with a couple of exceptions. Do you find that that's the case at City Hall? Was it the case at when you were there and is it the case now? Well, it's been drifting towards that uh, very dramatically and they've even gotten so uh, out of touch to the point where they just simply look, for instance, at the tax rate. Well, that's just a percentage number. What they should be looking at is the increase in spending from Mm -hmm. year to year. And if you were to look (laughs) over the last 10 to 12 years, you would find that the increase in spending is outstripped uh, cost of living plus inflation. And and uh, and that, to me, is not reasonable. Is it the big mega projects that are causing no, this increase? No, no, no. It's just the, uh, the operational parts of the municipality that are gotten out of hand. And uh, you see, at the end of the year, there's always money left over because of uh, incremental uh, assessment. Well, that gets built into the base for next year's tax rate. So that component just automatically creeps up. But you never really know because all this ever advertises the tax increase. But the tax increase is based on a different level than what you left off last year. And so there is creep Mm -hmm. into that. And and the the politicians ought to be there to to pick that off and to say, no, no, no. That money that's left over belongs to the taxpayer, not, not to the administration to develop a higher rate. You know, that speaks to a fundamental issue, and I ask this of all my civic guests who come here to talk about municipal, the municipal scene, and I often wonder, do you yourself personally view the government more, like it is the corporation of the City of London, do you, do you regard it as more of a corporation or a government, or is it a bit of both, and is that structure perhaps part of the problem that we're having? I, I, I'm well, always curious about I, I that. I think the problem is very complex. We have um, several structural problems. The first one is, as I say, the politician forgot the reason why they're there, and that's to oversee the administration and, and, to, and to be uh, uh, very uh, responsible to the public for their money. The second is to insist on efficiency and good management. You gotta remember that municipalities, when you get right down to it, are just managers for the province. They're not 
holy governments that make their own decisions uh, uh, outside of federal and provincial politics. They are managed. They are managed by people elected, of course, but responsible for uh, the Municipal Act and the Police Act and all those legislations that are put in their place. Mm-hmm. They're basically managers. Uh, of, of the municipality. They see themselves, though, as politicians making huge policies without worrying so much about the money. This is what um, has concerned me of late, is that you get elected as a city councillor, and because a lot of what you do is already mandated by the province, there's very little left over for you to make your stamp as a politician or a man of the people. And so, therefore, you get people proposing legislation for bylaws that are very intrusive, and um, some of them are just uh, out of this world nutty. Uh, but they, but they're they're brought forward to make a stamp, to make a statement that hey, I brought this forward. Whether it's uh, off-leash dog parks, smoking bans, or bans on this or that, or sign laws, that um, do you, do you find that that's the problem? Oh, certainly, a lot is is the exaggeration and grandstanding, and and that's uh, problematic because it takes away from the focus of what they're supposed to do. But just because the province wants to enact legislation. Uh, they have people there that should be uh, uh, knowledgeable in advance of the legislation. They have a system which can lobby the province and say, look, this cannot go through. We're having problems. If you pass that, it's going to cost us a whole lot of money. Sounds great for you, but we can't afford it. And they should be more proactive in that regard. We used to be. I mean, uh, I, I recall many times with the past mayors, we used to have delegations to go see cabinet ministers both levels and say stop this nonsense really? you, you can't do that you're, you're gonna you're gonna cause serious problems and here's the details that we have available to you more knowledgeable than what your own administration has given you so there are ways of doing that and within even within the policies that quite often are not good from the province of Ontario there is opportunity to to deviate or to change or to amend or to or to bend and to have understandings, but you can always become uh, efficient in any regard. And I don't see any, uh, a whole lot of that happening, and that's probably what I saw in the year 2000 when I finally called it quits. That, that, and, and so, looking at the politicians, personally, I, I only see Paul Van Meerbergen as being the one who, who really thinks of the taxpayer first. I always see him as the taxpayer's representative, and the rest of them, I feel like they all have their own agendas. If, is my sense incorrect in that? Oh, I wouldn't call anything incorrect. Uh, I've been around too long for that. But uh, <laughs> but I would say that Paul uh, Van Meerbergen is a very conscious and conscientious fellow. Uh, unfortunately, he has to uh, be um, sometimes overbearing on a topic because nobody else picks up on it. And and that's too bad because he, he makes a lot of sense. And, and it's uh, unfortunate that other people don't see themselves as manager of the public trust mm-hmm. and of the public fund. I often see him in the same position as I used to look at Robert when Robert was on the uh, on the board of Ed. He seemed to be the one guy there that was playing the Paul Van Meer Bergen role. And you must have felt a little alone from time to time, eh, Robert? Well, there were a couple of other trustees who from time to time I would get along with on a fiscal uh, <coughs> idea. But um, my... my point at the Board of Education was that I would never vote in favor of a budget as long as I could see waste somewhere and point it out and have it fixed, which meant that I never ever voted for a budget of the six that came on my uh, desk. Now, contrast that to, for example, Joe Fontana and um, uh, the clique that he has around him, who are saying that we're going to vote for zero percent 
a figure just out of the air, 0%, regardless of the consequences for or against expenditures in the budget of the city. I think it's a much more prudent attitude to take um, that you're not, you're not going to vote for a budget as long as you see waste. And if you can point it out and get rid of it, then you can vote for a budget. What do you think about that, Oz? I'm not sure that waste gets used and overused uh, over the years. I've seen it happen in Toronto, and it's been used uh, in many areas. More importantly, I, th- I think that uh, there is a, um, a fattening up of budgets, put it that way, where administration covers. Uh, we had a situation once where we just simply said, no more contingencies. The politicians will manage the contingencies. Point stop. That's it. We took it all. All contingency just came out of the budget. And guess what? It got reduced by a dramatic amount, something like 2%. So if you allow for a contingency, people being what they are, they'll find a way to spend it. Of course. And we just simply said, no, no more. Mm-hmm. And and uh, on top of that, we went through the budget books. We even changed the format of the budget so we could see exactly how the money was being spent. It takes time. It takes knowledge. It takes uh, perseverance. But we spent the time and we had... We provided the knowledge and the perseverance, and, and I, I think we were more prudent. In fact, as I recall, we had uh, a very, very low debt, something like $16 million and something like $80 million in uh, reserve funds set aside. And people didn't seem to mind. Uh, so I, I think what's happened is people, is, uh, polit- the politicians have gotten caught into this tax percent issue and don't really look at the management, don't really look at how much money they're really spending to achieve satisfaction for the public. Not happiness or everybody gets what they mm-hmm. want. Just plain satisfaction and perhaps sometimes saying, can't give it to you this year, you might have to wait two or three years. Rome wasn't built in a day. It was something I used to say a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, I certainly don't want to make this the subject of, of the show today, but when we return, I do want to ask you, do you think Joe Fontana is in trouble over this current dilemma that he's in? And we'll be back in just a minute. Oh, here we go. On the hillside, little boxes made of ticket tacky. Little boxes on the hillside, little boxes all the same. There's a green one and a pink one and a blue one and a yellow one, and they're all made out of ticket tacky. They all look just the same. And the people in the houses all went to the university where they were put in boxes. They came out the same There's doctors and lawyers And business executives And they're all made out of ticky-tacky And they all look just the same On the hillside, little boxes made of ticky-tacky Little boxes on the hillside, little boxes all the same And there's doctors and lawyers and business executives And they're all made out of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same And the boys go into business and marry and raise a family 
boxes made of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same. There's a pink one and a green one. And a blue one and a yellow one. And they're all made out of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same. Right now we're on the campus of a university sitting on our own little box called CHRW Radio where you can call 519-661-3600 to join in the conversation. Now, we're here with the wizard who is Oz, Orlando Zampronia, who has had a lot of experience in City Hall and, of course, the mayor is now under pressure over something that happened to him while he was a minister in the federal government. And I have to cite this this comment that he made that was printed on the front page of the Free Press in which over the spending allegations that uh, the government paid for his son's wedding reception back in 2005 he has written quote I am confident a thorough and fair review will clearly demonstrate all transactions were proper and valid now when I read that I didn't read that he he didn't say that they didn't pay for it he just said the transactions were proper and valid. Is it possible that they did pay for it and it was still proper and valid? Is, is this common? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> you know what I'm asking? We, we'd have to go back to the days when uh, uh, the prime minister was a liberal and uh, they got caught in this famous scandal. And God knows what those people were doing and what they were spending. I mean, uh, only a small amount came out on the inquiry because it was limited to uh, only certain areas. So... Who knows what people found to be valid and proper in those days? So I, I can't respond to that, but I would say it would be um, at least um, material mm-hmm. to, to a person's um, habit or, or way of doing things um, if, if indeed it turns out that the government paid for uh, a personal expense. It, you know, it, w- it, would not be, it would not be a good thing. It would be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It would be a bad thing, but not necessarily for Joe Fontana, wouldn't it? If, there's, uh, if it's found that he actually operated within the rules of the government of the day. For example, we see government and business writing off expenses that you and I would think that, hey, we shouldn't be writing that off. But if you find out that, well, a lot of ministers were invited to this event, a lot of business people were invited to this event, and therefore it falls under this particular clause of a business expense and yada yada, it could very well be that such a thing could be legitimate in the eyes of the government and perhaps, as you say, not an indictable offense. I suspect that uh, the jury is not black and white here. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a very mixed uh, bag. We see it uh, in a poor light because it's been cast in extremely poor light from starting position. Mm-hmm. Uh, from my own point of view, uh, I personally would never, ever ask the government or any government to pay for my expenses. But that's, I've had my own standards, which I hold dear, and uh, certain others would find it uh, more com- compatible to uh, to call it a government expense, I suppose. I don't know. I su- we'll have to wait and see. In the meantime, there's a lot of grandstanding going on, and uh, I-, I notice that some people are calling for resignations and stepping down. Well, that's way too premature. Not only that, but the council has no right to ask the mayor to step down unless there is a criminal offense. What I find interesting, Oz, is that the people who are calling for him to step aside for the moment um, are saying that it's distracting to the business of the day. And I I find that rather hypocritical because the distraction are these people themselves bringing this whole thing up. If they just got on with the, the business of the day, this wouldn't be a distraction. 
Of course. And uh, as I mentioned, you you've made reference to a radio show. It was also mm -hmm. referenced in the, to the newspaper in town that not only is this ugly, but um, it's, just, it's distracting and that most people see themselves as may capable mayors anyhow. And they're sitting there wondering what they can get out of it. And guess what? That's exactly what's happening. Uh, some are more uh, obvious than others. They're just mm -hmm. trying to see a, an opportunity to take over. And, and that's despicable in my view. I think that's about all we really want to say specifically about Joe Fontana's situation today. I really want to learn more about some of the background of how City Hall operates, some of the way they set rates. And you brought up something interesting before we went to the air, to air about how they set water rates in the City of London. And you said it was also an example of how, I guess, City Hall looks at the bigger picture, too. What, how, how, how did you mean that exactly? Well, uh Originally, water rates were part of taxation. And when the time came to uh, flip them over into a pay-as-you-go scheme, there were two questions in my mind. And the first was, if you're going to go pay-as-you-go, do you automatically reduce my taxation, which was previously to this was uh, in my annual uh, rate. And, of course, the administration didn't want to do that, which is uh, one of the political responsibilities to remind them that they can't be that greedy and that uh, um, willing to accept Two, yes. two parts of the money. Uh, so that there's a reason for having politicians. The second question that I had was, well, when, you do, when the rates go uh, uh, on a pay-as-you-go basis, people will use less. And when they use less, will you now be uh, changing your overhead? Cut back on your overhead costs because you'll be receiving less money. And to my knowledge, uh, I don't think that has happened to the degree that it should, for sure. So you over you saw this happening, oh, of and you warned them about it yes. many years ago. Yes. At least 10 years ago. Oh, more than that. More than 10 years ago, yes. and now all of a sudden we're in a crunch. Yes. Because they didn't listen. Of course. Uh, the administration wants more money. When you think of two other components here that are very, very um, telling, first of all, the water mains are large. But they're large for one main reason, because of firefighting. Mm. Firefighting now is a municipal responsibility covered by taxation. And yet, we're supposed to be paying for all of that out of a pay-as-you-go. So there is a dichotomy here. And the second thing that I find incredible is that people already have paid for the, uh, for the infrastructure that's in the ground. And if you build a new home, not only do you pay for your own, but you also pick up the taxes for everybody else's. Now, what the administration wants, and this has been supported by the province of Ontario, they want more money for the replacement of capital, which is not likely to happen for another 10 to 20 years. Well, I'm sorry. That should be borne by the tax rate or the expense rate of the people that are around 10 to 20 years from now. So it's this intradisciplinary or intragenerational taxation that's taking place, which I find uh, very bad, and, and a very bad system which the province have put in place. It, it's not right to ask people today mm -hmm. to pay for future uh, money. If you're going to do it for that particular area, do it for everything else and see what happens to the province of Ontario. This seems to be an inverse of what we've had in the past, where you borrow, where people in the future pay for what we're doing today. Now, we, we today are paying for what people in the future are going to consume. My point exactly. I, I think the province of Ontario has done a lot of bad legislation, and this is just one of them. One of the things that's always disturbed me about municipal politics is the very idea of a property tax base. 
Um, I could see a property tax base as being for services that home receives from the city, but it's certainly expanded into something far beyond that. And today's property taxes look like yesterday's mortgage payments, if you know what I mean. And you never feel like you own your property. And it seems to erode at the very concept of ownership. I I did ask uh, Mayor Joe Fontana when he was on another radio station whether he would like the idea of seeing some municipalities, as they have done in certain areas, move to a consumption tax rather than a uh, an assessment-based property tax. Now, he jumped at that suggestion, but again, as you say, not instead of, on top of the, 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 uh, the assessment base, but what I was intimating was get rid of the assessment, go to a consumption tax. Has that been workable in any cities that you've seen or... Um, do you know the, of any The problem example? is that whenever you make changes in the property tax base, the administration and the policymakers take advantage of the uh, poor paying public. And so they will do a, a double shift or a double taxation. So you have to be very leery of making changes because that's exactly what happens. Uh, no, it has not happened to that degree. I mean, a long, long, long time ago, it was all based on, on uh, fee for service. And then governments came along and decided that money should be spread and uh, people should pay the same. In other words, the uh, the level of socialism grew. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now it's grown to the point where everybody has to pay for everything. And then the, probably this is a, a, would be a good time to start asking, well, am I really using it? Uh, people are not using the, uh, the uh, what used to be the John Labatt Center, yet they're paying huge sums of money to support the borrowings that went on for that. I'm glad you brought that up because that's been a craw on my side for years and I keep hearing, I've even heard uh, talk show hosts and others saying, oh, it's been a success. It's bringing in the big acts, it's bringing in a lot of money and it's making a profit, which is now called the Budweiser Gardens. You would think that that's not the case. Is that right? I get angry, literally angry, when I hear people talk like that. Yes, it is a nice thing to have. Yes, it brings nice acts. Yes, it gives a certain level of vitality, and I'm all for it. But eventually, you have to ask yourself the question, who pays? And where does the money go? Consider two things. The first is that the uh, the deal that was struck with the present uh, organizers or managers of it allows them to pay uh, based on net profits. Well, you know, that means that they can write off just about everything. Secondly, the city paid for the building and the land, and the taxpayer has been paying something like $2.5 million a year in taxes uh, to cover for that and getting about, what, 150000 200000 back. Big deal, excuse me. Thirdly, because the, the city leased the land in which the building is built, they pay no tax. I don't think people know that. The city used to at least used to earn $300,000 a year from parking revenue on that lot. Mm-hmm. They don't even earn that anymore. That's the first thing that's wrong. The second thing that's wrong is a lot of politicians get screaming mad about uh, casinos because they're a drain on the public purse. They, they suck up money from the local economy and it goes to the province. But at least some of that comes back in the form of hospital support and so on and so forth. Consider that the Budweiser Center probably earns in the range of, say, 40 to $60 million a year from acts. Now, most of those acts, by far the majority, are from outside of Canada. Mm-hmm. That money is now sucked out of the local economy, most of it, and goes to the United States. You ever think of that? 
Imagine a system here that is nothing but a pipeline that is almost like cross-border shopping in reverse. Now, the Budweiser Gardens is one example of a big mega-project which is not necessarily uh, something that every Londoner benefits from. You have those kinds of things. You have convention center, you have museums, uh, uh, things like that. Big mega-projects. Um, they're thinking now of having a, a performing arts center, and that's going to come down the pipe very soon, and I bet you we're probably going to get that too. What is the proper function of a municipal government? Is it to provide these kinds of circuses, or is it to provide fundamentals like sewers, uh, water, roads? Yeah, it almost seems like the city's turned into an entertainment center more than a well, basic services center. You really have to look back about 2,000 years and <laughs> and find out that the Romans were in the same problem. Were you, were you on the council then? <laughs> Probably. I've been around long enough and I've read enough about it. And the Romans found out that in order to keep the people quiet, they had to give them circuses. That's why they built the... Um, Coliseum. Bread and circuses. Yeah. No question. The monument B- builders. Build a circus, <laughs> keep the public quiet, and the public swallows it and they think it's great for a while until they have to pay for it. And and now, the, now guess what? Every single government is in debt so far that they have very little wiggle room. It just, we are on the verge of, of a major, major uh Confrontation. A number our, of cities in North America have already declared bankruptcy because of things like this. We are in on the verge of a major confrontation with reality, and not only that, but people themselves have no money. They've spent their credit cards. I see so, that so, coming, so yeah. now we build more mausoleums, more uh, whatever. Uh, guess who? And and it's just not doable in the present circumstance with the present situation. I like that. I like a performing arts center. I, so I was, I was very much in favor of it. Still am. Love to see it. But I like to see what happens about who pays for it. I can still recall when the, uh, the well-to-do people in the city got together and built the, um, the art gallery. Well, that was a very nice thing, and I like art. And I go to all the art galleries in the world whenever I get around to it. Unfortunately, it very soon it became uh, an operating problem. And guess who picks up the tab? And nobody wants to talk about that. They don't even want to charge money for entrance because, after all, these things should be readily available. Mm-hmm. Why? Why yeah. shouldn't it? Why? If that is so valuable and so useful, why isn't it being part of our culture? And if it is part of our culture, why shouldn't we pay to go in there to sustain it? And, and I think we've gotten so far away from that mentality that uh, there is no turning back right now. And I'm sorry to say, we have a problem. We do. And we'll have to talk more about that problem when we return. We're at the bottom of the hour already, and we are in conversation with former controller, London controller, Orlando Zampronia, the Oz. And he'll be back with us after these important messages. Little boxes on the hillside. Little boxes made of ticky-tacky. Little boxes on the hillside. Little boxes all the same. There's a green one and a pink one. And a blue one and a yellow one. And they're all made out of ticky-tacky. And they all look just the same. And the people in the houses all went to the university. Where they were put in boxes And they all came out the same And there's doctors and lawyers And business executives And they're all made out of ticky-tacky And they all look just the same 
here with Orlando Zampronia in the studios today talking about municipal politics. And Orlando, I wanted to ask you about the abolishment of the Board of Control. I was opposed to it at the time. A number of people were, it seemed to have gone ahead, along with uh, a reapportionment of our ward system and all that. Good or bad in terms of the, the idea behind it and how it's turned out? Well, the idea that was given was to reduce the size of government, and it was an easy step to say, well, we'll abolish border control. There goes four people. And by the way, look at the money we save, uh, 35,000 times four or whatever. And uh, off we go with a smaller, more efficient, uh, better council geared to the speed of today. Well, it hasn't turned out that way. It hasn't turned out that way for two reasons. First of all, they are finding out that to continue the the democratic process where they become involved with the public, they need the time. And they need the people, so to speak. And now these people are asking for secretarial help. They want uh, they want additional staff to do an investigation for them, to do research. Um, they want more money. They want to become full-time, by the way, uh, which is... I could never understand that, Oz. Well, that was, that was the hidden agenda. Because um, what do they make with the officer's allowance, which is about a third of their um, pay, which is tax-free? I think they're making close to over 40000 a year, aren't they? That's that, right. Yeah. That's more than a full-time um, salary for probably half the city. Half the city doesn't make that that kind of money, and they work full time. What does this mean to call them full time? Well, they, they can wa- certainly work full time if they wish. Well, they want more money. That's the euphemism, isn't it? Let's get down to brass tacks here. They want to be paid more. They're career politicians. They don't do a heck of a lot else. That's frankly, quite a few of them don't. Mm-hmm. Some of them do. Some of them reasonable, legal jobs and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they become more important. They're full-time and they're, uh, in a way, they get in the way of the administration, too. While they should be monitoring, they become imbued into the administrative uh, process, and, and that's wrong. The, the other thing is that now, without a border control, which used to have a continuous access to the uh, day-to-day actions of the city, because we were there, and uh, we had immediate access to all the administration, uh, they now uh, uh, find that they don't have a succession plan. Anything happens to the mayor, which happened in my time uh, when Fred Gosnell got ill, we had a succession path. The deputy mayor, which is Jane Bigelow, took over uh, as acting mayor, and eventually we got around to deciding who would be the successor. But uh, there is no succession. There is no one person there 
outside of the mayor, who has citywide support. That's right. The PUC were uh, elected at large across the city. Uh, not PUC, sorry, the Board of Control, elected at large. So, yes, everybody had a say in who the deputy mayor was because it was voted in across the town. But now every councillor has their own little fiefdom, and we actually see that. A number of councillors out there are saying, I'm walking the beat of my little ward here, and I'm going to fight for my ward, which is fine and good, but only one person has the city at large um, in their in, in their mind, and that, of course, now is the mayor. With no deputy mayor, no board of control? No, it's, it's actually a, a, a gap and, and a void which needs to be filled. And the board of control actually was a, a reasonable way of doing it. Um, some municipalities looked at it, but they got around it by uh, developing internal political parties. And if you don't have a political party to be accountable, then you have to have something else. And now we have, here in London, we don't have a political political parties, we have a little cliques mm -hmm. which substitute for political parties without accountability. And, and that's about the worst of all worlds. And so we have a bad system here uh, right now. And if you look at it, there are two distinct cliques in, in local government and uh, it, it will not heal. Like, as in different cultures, practically. Is that what you mean? or, or Well, well there seems to be two groups of people that are allied to each other, but they don't call themselves a party. And and so nobody's accountable. Is there a left and right on council? Is there are, is there partisanship of sorts, even well, if it's not, you know... One clear. would think so. One would think they were split on a left and right basis, but now we have one uh, leader of the one side uh, who is supposedly a very right-wing right, right -wing person, and yet makes a lot of left-wing votes. Very oh. disturbing. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, we have the uh, majority, with um, the mayor being the so-called leader, who quite often develop uh, fairly strong left-wing agendas, uh, mixed in with uh, right-wing business, so-called business propositions. It's a very mixed bag. Nobody's you know, accountable. It's a very strange thing to hear a fellow like Joe Fontana talk 0% tax increase, you know. He's the last guy I would have thought would ever say that. Is 0% doable? Of course. I've already said before earlier in this show that the amount of money that's being spent has grown dramatically in the city of London, more than one would uh, tally up on the percentage increases. So uh, if politicians were really reasonable and spent the time and had a proper budget, as we did, and a, a budget system, as we did, and I'm not saying we were better, we just simply had a better system to look at what was being spent, uh, it would not be difficult to, to uh, get the city back into a, a leaner organization. The police budget seems to be the one budget that always comes in asking for more and more and more. Do you think that there's any way to cut the police budget? Very difficult to do uh, for several reasons. First of all, they're protected by the Police Act. Secondly, the um, provincial um, organization requires a certain number of policemen per, per capita or pretty near something like 700 population per policeman and then there there's all kind of other um, compounding causes number of crimes and so on uh, crime in itself has gone down but that's the, the accountable crime the, the one that is um, announced or the ones that is sorted out so it's very hard to sort all that out uh, however the, the uh, police system uh, um, you'd have to look at the efficiency of how they dispatch their their officers 
uh, if you wanted to, to do some cutting. And you're not allowed to do that because municipal council has absolutely no authority. It's micromanaging. They, they cannot. It's mm-hmm. in the police, police Act. They cannot go and ask on the line-by-line line budget, as some people have done or have said in this mm-hmm. council. They can only uh, agree or disagree with the budget. Can we go back just for a moment and talk about um, the groups that you're, you were mentioning in City Hall, uh, two basic groups. One of those groups apparently met outside of council at a restaurant, and, of course, there was a whole hullabaloo and a bit of a scandal over all of that, and now there's a call for an ethics commissioner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you think of the idea of an ethics commissioner? Isn't that sort of a, a way of saying that the people on council right now are so immature that they need somebody to tell them what, what the difference between right and wrong? What do you think? Oh, I think it's overblown. And the people getting together to discuss things, big deal. That happens all the time. Who's kidding? You think that the other group doesn't get together to discuss things? Well, it's against the act. Well, well, yeah, all right, fine. So so the act has to be looked at and said, behave in accordance with good moral principles, do your job, and get on and do it in behalf of the city. Unfortunately, uh, people are now picking at everything they can. If a mayor is strong and competent and capable, that mayor can exercise a lot of influence on the proper behavior and actions of the council. So you do not need an ethics commissioner, you're saying? You need good, strong moral background. I think we've gotten away from that in many parts of our life and our society. Mm-hmm. And council just simply reflects the way society behaves. Oh dear. <laughs> you know, it almost seems to me that often the political agendas and goals of a lot of the people there uh, have to be opposed to normal ethics because they would they basically a lot of them want something for nothing you, you know if 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 it were up to you where would you begin cutting back on spending at city hall what would be your number one areas that you might say could go without anybody really feeling the pinch too hard well i don't know that any one area could go well, just generally but I, but, I think, or cut down I, and, I, I think one would look at um, the, look at it from the other way and start saying, what do I absolutely need? Start from that angle and then you you put into place the things you absolutely need and work down to a target that you say our people can afford and what's left over are the things that I can now dispense to the other programs that are asking for money. You know, that's an excellent, refreshing way to look at it because I'm always looking at it what do we have right now? Let's cut back to what I think is proper. But you're saying, let's pretend that no city exists at the moment. If we were to build a city, how would we build it? What would we need to build a proper city? That's of course. A, that's a great way of looking at it. Well, well we did have a, a budget system. We called it program budgeting. So other places, they call it zero-based budget, which is a, a, a small difference from what we had. And under program budget, everything was put in place in accordance with the number of people that were assigned to the program, the amount of o- operational cost that was with it, and the amount of capital cost. And then the ongoing uh, consequences of running this program over a number of years. In other words, it looks good today, but five years from now, are we going to have major expenses if we keep doing this? And, and so we were able to look at that and say, do we need this? Do we need this much of it? And, and we went program by program, and, and we knew what we were buying. And we knew very well that the infrastructure comes first. That's why the municipality exists. 
and and from there we backed into the nice to have and uh, would like to have sort of areas. There's something else has grown into our society, and most of it has been from our provincial uh, edicts, and that is social programs. The province is very good at demanding social programs, but they only enact a policy. Municipalities are left to pick up the tab, mm-hmm. and, and and that is. Uh, that's a complete disconnect as far as I'm concerned. Com- it shouldn't even exist. No, it's, there's a lot of problems with that because suddenly we find that, for instance, uh, what is it, eight, if you're in the 18 percentile lower wage, you're automatically called poor. Well, it doesn't matter how much people are making and how much wages g- grow or otherwise, if you're in that percentile, you're always poor. Well, guess what? You just simply keep growing and you never catch up. Uh, there, there is a mentality here that is counterproductive. Going to take a quick break for now, and when we return, we will continue our conversation with former controller Orlando Zampronia on City Hall and all the problems that we're having down there. Want to talk about the downtown when we return for a yeah. second? Okay. Little boxes on the hillside. Little boxes made a ticky tacky. Little boxes on the hillside. Little boxes all the same. There's a green one and a pink one and a blue one and a yellow one And they're all made out of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same And the people in the houses all went to the university Where they were put in boxes and they all came out the same And there's doctors and lawyers and business executives and they're all made out of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same Little boxes made a ticky-tacky Little boxes on the hillside Little boxes all the same There's a green one and a pink one And a blue one and a yellow one And they're all made out of ticky-tacky And they all look just the same And there's doctors and there's lawyers And there's business executives And they're all made out of ticky-tacky And they all look just the same We're back with the Oz and... Orlando, what do you think about downtown? What killed downtown? Or is it alive? Or is it... uh, Every city seems to be completely absorbed with making its downtown vibrant and it seems the more effort we put into it I'm not seeing exactly the results, but I keep hearing people saying that good things are happening. Well, are they? front page, uh, if I could just interrupt mm. for a second, front page of the Free Press, was it yesterday? Uh, Big Blue Bubble, I think is the name of a company that is moving out of downtown because of the crime, because of the vagrants, because of the uh, being accosted uh, on the street by um, so-called homeless people. 
Um, what's going on? A lot of things happen to downtowns, and, and I mean, people have written have written books, so don't expect me to answer that one. However, I can tell you that uh, the moment you started building malls and big box stores outside the center of the city, then automatically you're taking away that influx of people that used to just automatically go downtown. So that's that's happened. The other thing that's happened is. Um, We've had provincial legislation that have allowed a whole lot of people who used to be in institutional settings uh, drift, so to speak, which is sad. And and now uh, the best place for them to be is downtown. Well, you know, that doesn't exactly attract a whole lot of other people uh, going down there. It's just that cultural change has happened. Um, municipality, for whatever reason, uh, put the... Um, uh, the uh, check office for welfare checks down at the corner of Dundas and, and Richmond. Well, you know, uh, a whole new culture developed around there with uh, cash being taken in, people uh, giving them instant money for uh, 10 or 20% reduction, uh, all kind of nasty, what I call bad things happened. There's a lot of murders going on on that corner. Well, no, not too, not too, not too good. And, uh, and one would wonder about the wisdom of the way this has been planned. Uh, let me put it this way: the only uh, two people were opposed to that particular plan back when it was put into effect, and um, we were shamed, I think, into believing that things could improve as a result of doing things that way. Well, you know, you can spend a lot of money and you can uh, pretend that we, we had facelift money being spent, we had um, upgrades being spent, and next thing you know, you got landlords taking advantage of that and asking for the city to build them parking garages. Well, you know, it just doesn't stop. You can pump a whole pile of money, but until we change our structure of our municipality, uh, we will have a very rough downtown setting. To speak to my own experience regarding downtown, and perhaps even London East, you know, just east of Adelaide there, where they used to have the crick in the road and all that. I, well, I, I wouldn't call that London East, Bob, well, by no. the way. I live in London East, well, and it's nine kilometers from understood. that crick in the road. But it's east of downtown. <laughs> okay. That's and, London Center to okay. me. Okay. <laughs> but I stopped going to those areas to shop as soon as I got rid of the street parking. And it struck me that that is a death knell to any downtown. You don't have to have long street parking, but you should have available street parking because there is that kind of shopper, if you're looking for that clientele, um, who just goes in, dashes in, well, goes out, doesn't want to be downtown for, for 10 years and doesn't want to carry around all this stuff, so he has to take the bus. Again, again, we have a confrontation of ideologies here. The city subsidizes, to a very large extent, the bus system because they want people to use the bus, get out of the cars. It's the environmental thing to do. It's the good thing to do. People can't afford cars and all those good things. And you don't want to have parking because parking is a nasty thing to have. So we subsidize the bus transit system. Well, guess what? Right now, they're subsidizing parking systems. And, and they're, they're buying a, a parking lot which are underground, which are worth twenty-five dollars to $30,000 per spot. Well, you never make that money back. You have to subsidize it. And why is that? Because the people downtown are saying, we need the parking. Well, make up your mind. What is your direction? What are you trying to do? And if you want to subsidize bus transit, build a different city. If you, you, know, want, to, if you want to subsidize parking, then you have a different 
proportion again. Uh, it, it, we just seem to be doing everything at once and spending money and not achieving anything for which we have set a goal. There is no goal. I no vision, are you saying? And that's probably the, be- the better word, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that's what they call their plans or the vision for London. There is yeah, what, no is all this, what is all this rethinking London? Have you been following all of these uh, surveys and, yes. and efforts on the parts of various parts of the administration and yes. politicians? What is all that nonsense about? I, I don't feel like I have even any right to put put my input into how somebody else should run their business. I, I, I have tried. I've actually put some input into it. I've heard nothing back. So I, I don't know. I, it's not the first time this has been tried. This is just more glorified, as I can see it. It uh, sounds to me as if, and I've seen this before at the Board of Ed, where you have public input sessions, and of course the minds were made up long before by administration, not necessarily councillors or trustees, but administration has made up their mind long before about what they want to do as city planners. Then they have to go through the onerous, pro- onerous process of having public input, which they... Uh, politely accept, but then go off and do what they were planning to do in the first place. It's a total sham. This this could happen in the city again. Uh, as I said before, there may be a whole lot of things come out of this that are worthwhile. However, they can't be implemented. There's no money. You can have the best plans in the world, and plans and ideas and policies are all wonderful, but the first hurdle is money. And money isn't everything, but if you can't jump that hurdle... Don't even talk about it. All you're doing is raising the expectations of people and then let them down and get people all upset all over again. So the city has a structural problem right now, and it's called deficit. And they cannot implement great, wonderful things until they come to grips with the fact that they have no money. Do you even see it possible? How, how big is the deficit? How long would it take the city to get back on a, in a healthy situation based on... 10 to current. 20 years, if they put their minds to it. And that's if they put their minds to if it. If they put their minds to it. And the same not. happens provincially and the same happens... You know, you always hear, oh, we can get money from the feds, or we can get money from the province. Well, they're, they're next to bankrupt themselves for that's crying right. out loud. Who are, who are we kidding? I mean, who wants to who wants to know that McGinty and his type are running the city? You know, isn't all this? We want to get the public's opinion. Isn't that just an admission that they are out of ideas and yes. out of and out of? Basically, uh, when you get right down to it, it's an admission that we can't do it. We don't know how to do it, so we'll pass the crux over to the public. Let them give us all their ideas. We'll put them all together, see if they match what we want in the first place, and then we'll get on. We'll say, "Here's the plan." Well, that's very nice. Where's the money? Mm. And the plan can be improved, and it should be improved, and I'm all for it, but not at the expense of rising expectations that cannot be met. For for example, the current suggestion to have the new um, exchange at the 401 is going to cost many million dollars. Is that an investment you think would be worth, at least for the future of the city? Is Joe, <clears throat> excuse me, is Joe right about that? Uh, he well, seems all very, these things very are dedicated great. To that. You, you can do a lot of investing, but there is no wiggle room. Where, at what point can well, you he, do I understand that? he's char- he's talking about charging an extra tax for that. What were they had a name for? Some kind of development tax, yeah, surtax, or, levy or, 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 or some kind of levy? Yes. No, that, that, is, is that going to do it? No, people are not going to buy that. They're fed up. They haven't got any money. Uh, people haven't got any money because they've already spent their money. We got about three minutes left, Oz. Name a couple of things, if you could, what this city council right now can do 
to get us out of this deficit that we're in and to bring the city back on track? Well, they really need to be more cooperative. That's the first thing. And uh, um, that means they all have to bury their own personal um, expectations of where they want to be, leave the power game alone until two years from now and get on with that. They, they really need to realize that they need to take money out of their operating funds and put it towards paying down their debt so they can put into place the things that they need to put into place to look to the future. And until they do that, they will forever be choked by a big debt and a big, and a big operating fund. Is it too late to divest ourselves, the city, of um, some of the big mega projects that are big stones around our neck? Convention Center, Bud, 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 Bud Gardens, things of that nature? Oh, those things are in place and cannot be changed. All you can do is become more efficient. The Budweiser Center is one terrible mess, and they'll just have to keep on paying until uh, they stop paying it. There are other areas that uh, people don't want to approach. For instance, why is the city in the golf? game, except that most people like to play golf. Why are we building ice arenas when the number of kids is reducing? Mm-hmm. Why are we building recreation centers? Uh, Again, and, and it sounds like we're in the entertainment business. We're in the <laughs> entertainment business big time because, as I said, 2,000 years ago, the public realized they want circuses. Any chance you returning to politics? I'm a little bit past that game. I told you why I left. I'm uh-huh. sorry to hear that. Okay. <laughs> well, Thank you, Oz. We sure got a lot of topics in today, and that's all we have time for. Thank you for joining us, Orlando. I hope we can have you back again sometime to continue the conversation. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. We got to go. So join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Little boxes on the hillside, little boxes made of ticky-tacky, little boxes, little boxes, little boxes all the same. There's a green one and a pink one and a blue one and a yellow one and they're all made out of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same. Just the same.